0: Good morning, everybody. My name is Robert, uh, Robert Gonzalez, and together with uh, Heather and two kids, we are members here. Uh, I was also fortunate enough to be baptized uh, by Andrew, who's not uh, here with us. He's in the uh, kids section, but I was baptized here as well. We are in uh, Mark's group, and we couldn't be happier, and today I'll be reading from Luke he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped to servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever.
1: Amen. Thank you, Roberts. Glad you're here. Glad you're a part of the Redeemer family, my man. Hey, good morning. My name is Tanner House. I'm the I'm the lead pastor here. If you're new uh, or if you're a guest with us, there is a connect card under your chair. If you would take a moment and fill that out uh, so we could have a way to connect with you, have a way to serve you. Um, just see if there's anything we as a church can do uh, for you to get you plugged into the life of the body. Also, if you need a Bible, there's Bibles out in the hall. Uh, my son Levi will get you one. If you need one, raise your hand. He will, uh, he will help you out. Uh, we use the ESV if you're on your phone or your tablet or some other electronic Bible. Hey, so if you've been with us at any point this year, we've been walking consistently uh, through the Gospel of Mark um, as a church, we are committed to what's known as expository preaching. Uh, we will preach through books of the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, uh, in order to span the full counsel uh, of God's word. Um, as, a, as a church, our hope is that we grow in the knowledge of Christ through a steady diet of God's word to us. One of my goals, actually, as a, as a pastor is to preach through the entire Bible I'm not hundred percent sure that that will actually happen, but I do expect to get through most or all of the new Testament, um, before I hand this thing off to the younger guy of me, 30 to 35 years from now sometime. So having said all that, we will take some periodic breaks for some more topical messages. I can think of three breaks that we will take, uh, most likely every single year. Number one, at the beginning of the year, We will always go back to a vision and values series. Uh, That's so we can all be on the same page as a church. Think of it kind of like New Year's resolutions for the corporate body of Christ. Um, It's just a reminder of who we are, what we aspire to be as a church. And then we will always take a break for Easter. To talk explicitly about the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And then at this time of year, we're going to have an Advent series, which is what we're starting today. This year, we're going to be looking at the songs of Advent. Advent is a a Latin word that just just means arrival. So as a church, um, as global church, we are in the middle of the two Advents of Jesus Christ. The time of his birth and the time of his return. And so as we await for the second advent of Jesus, as we await for the return of Christ, we look back to the faithfulness of God to become a man to save sinners. So we await with hope for the future fulfillment of the second advent, for the fulfillment of Christ's return. So we look back at the Christmas story as a way to remind ourselves that, yes, God is indeed faithful. God is not going to leave this broken and undone. And today we're going to start celebrating Advent. We're going to start celebrating the arrival of the Christ child in a manger in Bethlehem. With the first advent of Jesus, with the first advent of Christ, Satan is being defeated and God's plan of redemption is unfolding. But it's not in a way that anyone would expect. It's certainly not In a way that the world expects it to happen. So I want to pray this morning and then I want to look at our text together. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Lord, thank you that you became a man. That you became God in flesh to save sinners. Lord, thank you for... Being faithful to keep your promise to your servant Abraham, Lord, that this is not all that there is, Lord, that this is not going to remain broken and hopeless forever. Lord, I just pray that you would encourage hearts, encourage the faint hearted, encourage the weary this morning to keep going in faith. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke chapter one, Robert read verses 46 through 55. I want to read some of the previous verses just to set up the context. So if you're with me, we're in Luke chapter one and I'm going to start reading in verse 26. It says in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So we have this girl, commonly known as the Virgin Mary. Uh, I used to teach this little kid Sunday school class, and I I was like a four-year-old Sunday school class and asked the kid one time, who are Jesus' parents? And he said, Virge and Mary. And I was like, okay, well, we got some work to do. No, she's commonly referred to as the Virgin Mary. And she has this encounter with an angel, Gabriel. He shows up in her room or wherever she's at. And he says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And the text says, Mary was afraid. I imagine so. All of a sudden, bright, shiny dude standing in our midst. That would be kind of fearful. And he says, the Lord is with you. And she was trying to figure out what the meaning of this is. What is this guy talking about? He tells her, hey, you found favor with God. So I want to submit a couple things to you about this. Um, This is one area where our Catholic friends get it wrong. Mary is not a co-equal with Jesus. Meaning this, we should not pray to Mary. Mary is to be respected and honored as the mother of Jesus. But the reason she is to be respected and honored is for her faith. When we look at Mary... We don't need to see someone who is special based on her merit. In that regard, Mary is just another person. When we look at Mary, we need to see her and we need to be encouraged by her because of her faith in God. Mary is, like all believers should be, a signpost pointing to something, pointing to someone greater than herself. Man, she's the mother of Jesus, and that is a special honor that she has that is only for her. But it's only given to her by God's sovereign goodwill to her. She's found favor with God. She's found favor with God because she fears God. She's found favor with God because she is a faithful and repentant sinner. She's been chosen by God for her usefulness to his Ministry. She's been chosen by God to carry out his plan of redemption to the world. She is just a vessel. So we don't pray to Mary. We pray through the ministry of the Holy Spirit by the son's resurrection to God. Mary exists to fulfill God's plan of redemption. In Isaiah 7, 14, we see that it says, Behold, a virgin will conceive a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we see in uh, prophecy 400 years prior to this event that the Messiah is going to be born of a virgin So here we have this teenage girl. She's a teenage virgin. She's betrothed or engaged. If you don't know what betrothed means, it means she's planning on getting married to this dude, Joseph, but they are not married yet. And she is still a virgin. Mary was chosen because of her willingness to submit to God's calling on her life. And this is made evident by what she says in verse 38. She says, I am a servant of the Lord. Let all that you say that you said would happen. Let it happen in the way that you said it. And just to confirm what the angel told her, he said, hey, your cousin Elizabeth, she's old and also pregnant. Gabriel tells her this in order to increase Mary's faith. We are shown this too in order that our faith would increase. These two women had been touched by God. One was a senior citizen way past childbearing years and the other, a teenage virgin, both carrying children. So Mary gets up from her house in Nazareth and takes off towards her cousin's house. And look what happens. Verse 39, it says, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what the lord had spoken to her from the lord man can you just for a second just imagine the excitement in this room i can imagine again that there's probably a lot of fear remember one lady is a senior citizen way past childbearing years and the other is a is a teenage virgin And not only is she a teenage virgin that's pregnant, she is an unwed teenage pregnant woman in a culture that would not celebrate this. Can you imagine the fear? And in a moment, all that just gives way. Together, they start celebrating the goodness and faithfulness of the Lord to them. Theologians call this moment the visitation, but it isn't just a meeting to encourage Mary and Elizabeth There is so much going on in this exchange. Look, their situation is super unique. These two women have been chosen by God to bear children of the promise. And they were the first to know about it. Mary and Elizabeth, young and old, and their children are representing both old and new. Their two children, one would be the prophesied forerunner to the other, who was in fact the Messiah. And all of this, every single moment of this, all of this was promised as God's plan of redemption. And it was unfolding before the eyes of these two women. Elizabeth is carrying John the Baptist, and John the Baptist was the greatest prophet of the Old Covenant. His role, his job, was to announce the coming of the Messiah. His role was to announce the coming of the Savior, the coming of the Christ. Jesus Christ is on his way. Jesus is the Lord of the new covenant. And when John the Baptist in utero heard the voice of Mary, the text says he leapt for joy. He hears the voice of the mother of his Lord and he leaps in utero. Maximus of Turin, he's a fourth century church father. He says this, not yet born, already John prophesies. And while still in the enclosure of his mother's womb, he confesses the coming of Christ with movements of joy. It's amazing. His whole life, from conception until death, he was declaring and preparing the way of the Lord. And I just want to make a brief aside real quick. I try super hard not to say anything like super political or super polarizing up here because there's a lot that we could argue about and that would divide us. And most of that wouldn't be edifying or uniting or beneficial. But if I could just for a second, just tip my hand just ever so slightly in this moment If you look all the way back in Genesis 3, after the fall of man, God the Father gives the first prophecy concerning Jesus. In Genesis 3.15, God tells Eve that the offspring of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, who was Satan. One of the things that we celebrate at Christmas is that God became a man. And God became a man entering through pregnancy and childbirth that fact alone fills pregnancy and childbirth with so much dignity so much meaning so much purpose not that you should draw your worth value dignity identity fulfillment from pregnancy and childbirth but the fact that jesus christ the god man entered the world in such a way Entering through the womb of a woman should, in fact, make the womb a sacred place and all that is in it should be sacred. Man, if Mary were pregnant today in the days of Roe v. Wade, do you know how many people would have been telling her like, hey, go abort that baby? We like to think of ourselves as an advanced society, but yet we still have this barbaric ritual that glorifies the self. These primitive first century people understood something that our culture doesn't value. The fetus is a baby. If it's a baby when you miscarry, it's a baby when you abort. So I don't say that to shame anybody or condemn anyone. If this is your story, there is so much grace for you and peace for you through Christ who went to the cross for you. There is no condemnation for those in Christ. But I say that to say that may we be the church. May the church of Christ be a safe haven for all life. May we be consistently pro-life from womb to tomb, regardless of race, gender, class, or any other man-made distinction. So let's get back to the text. This baby John affirms the savior of the world. Jesus, the savior of the world, he is in the midst of this house and he jumps for joy inside his mom's womb. And then that moment causes his mother, Elizabeth, to shout. Through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth recognizes that she is in the presence of the Messiah. And she refers to Mary as the mother of her Lord. And there's a lot we can glean from the faith and the humility of these two women One commentator, Philip Rikens, says that for six months, the big excitement in Elizabeth's life had been her own pregnancy. Remember, she was old. She was barren. She had no children. But rather than thinking of her own good news, she immediately praises God for what he had done for Mary. She's not jealous. She honored Mary, the mother of our Lord, who is the most blessed woman in the world. Elizabeth's not worshiping Mary, but blessing her faith. Mary was a woman who took God at his word, and in doing so, Elizabeth is the first person to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Uh, Devontae pointed this out to me this week, and I wanted to share it. Uh, He said, a fetus was the Lord of Elizabeth. Isn't it interesting, before Jesus performed any miracle, before he was even born, Elizabeth recognized This is no ordinary baby. So we've seen John the Baptist rejoicing in utero, which leads Elizabeth to rejoice. And then we see Mary break into song. This is called the Magnificat. It's a Latin word that that means magnify or magnifies. And her song has so much scripture in it. Because Mary knew her Bible, because she spent time in her Bible Mary was in a state of worship Worshipping God with all that she had Mind, soul, heart, and strength Her song alludes to or directly quotes scripture From Genesis, Deuteronomy, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah She She knew the scriptures, man I imagine this. I'm going out on a limb here. Don't throw things at me. I imagine Mary would have a problem with a lot of modern worship songs that focus only on one part, like only on emotions or try to manipulate emotions and don't focus at all on sound doctrine. Mary's able to praise God with her whole person because she knows the God of the Bible. She knows him through the revelation of his word. And we would do well, church, listen to me, we would do well to pursue God in this way. Like, if you never read your Bible, you're never getting to the heart of a father. Mary writes this song, Mary's able to write this song from a storehouse of knowledge of God that she has been given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the scriptures and through her faith. When we know our Bibles, It stays on our hearts and it stays in our minds. So Mary says these things. Luke 1 verse 46 says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She says her soul magnifies the Lord. So consider the purposes of a magnifying glass. Uh, a magnifying glass has two purposes. Uh, one is to burn ants, and then the real purpose, which is to like make something bigger. But it's impossible to make God any bigger than he already is, right? God transcends time. God transcends, transcends space. He transcends mass and matter. He is beyond what we can think, what we can see, or what we can even imagine. So how is it possible that Mary is magnifying God? What exactly is it that she's saying? She's wanting God to increase in her own life. She's not focusing on herself. She's focusing on God. What Mary is wanting to enlarge, to make bigger, to magnify, is her vision of God. Lord, increase my knowledge of who you are. My soul magnifies you. She's wanting God to show his greatness, not hers. In verse 48, she says, All subsequent generations will call her blessed, and that is only because of God's goodness to her. It would have been real easy and really understandable for for her to just rejoice in her circumstances. I'm pregnant, and not only am I pregnant, the baby inside of me is God. Woo! Um, It would have been forgivable. I want to say this. I think it's okay for us, when things are good, to thank God for those things, right? But what is your response when things aren't so good? Our worship of Christ cannot be situational. We love God when our perception is that we have it easy, when things are going well, we really like that. And when we struggle and when we suffer, we think God is against us and we turn away from Him. When we do this, our worship of God is self centered. Let me show you what I mean. Look at the next verses. Verse 49 says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary's beginning to praise God for his nature and his character. God, you are mighty, and because you are mighty, you can and will do great things. You are doing great things for me. God, your name is holy. You are set apart. God, there is none like you. Your name is above all other names. God, you show mercy to those who fear you. And this is from now until forever. Generation after generation after generation. You see, Mary is just worshiping God purely because he is God. We are not the most important things in our life. Our kids are not the most important things in our lives, our jobs, our image, our status, or anything else you want to put in that blank. When these things eclipse our view of God, when people or careers or whatever it may be, take over the spot that God has rightly claimed for himself, that is idolatry. Man, we need to look beyond ourselves. We need to look beyond our circumstances to see God for who he is. To see God for what he's done and praise him just for being God. That informs the worship of God for what he's done for us. And what is it that he's done for us? Verse 50 says it again, that God has mercy on those who fear him. God has reached down from his position as the holy, mighty God of the universe and lifts up humble, And repentant sinners, and through the blood of the cross and the resurrection of his son Jesus, elevates us to sonship, elevates us to adoption as sons and daughters of him through faith in Christ. And here we see the lowest of the low in society an unwed pregnant teenager from the worst town ever, not Odessa, Nazareth. One commentator says she was a nobody from nowhere and she knew it. And to make matters worse, she's a sinner. And all of this knowledge about who she is, all of this knowledge about what she's done leads her to praise God. Because through his son, what she is carrying is her savior. By God's grace, he looked upon our condition. And by God's grace, he still looks upon our condition and is pleased to act to save sinners. This is why generations after generation will call Mary blessed. Not because she's the mother of Jesus, which is certainly praiseworthy, right? But we call her blessed because she is seen by a God who loves her. Because she is an undeserving sinner who received favor and the merciful grace of God to her. God exalts the humble. Man, godly humility looks like avoiding what is contrary to God's will. Godly humility looks like faith and dependency and striving to honor God with our lives. Regardless of your circumstances, whether you are struggling in faith or struggling in your life, struggling physically or mentally or in some other way. May that not lead us to anger. May that not lead us to frustration. May that not lead us to despair. And if it does, may we cast that onto the Lord who endured the cross for us. May we not think we're entitled to mercy and deliverance. What we're actually entitled to is hell and condemnation and death. And may this knowledge cause us to draw near with a humble confidence to the throne of grace. James 4:10 says humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. May we humbly submit our lives to Christ and allow him to use us in any way he so chooses for his ministry and for his glory. So just as God exalts the humble, Mary also tells us he humbles the proud. Verse 51 it says he has shown strength with his arm he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. What these verses tell us, is that God's mercy is available for everyone who's repentant. I can say with some level of confidence, with a base level understanding of the science on how babies are made and born, that there will probably never, ever, ever, ever be another virgin birth. And I may never, ever on this side of eternity have an encounter with the angel Gabriel. But I do know God works in other ways and we can see God's work daily. And that is what Mary's celebrating. We don't need to ask God for a sign that you are working. We just need to be mindful that we serve a God who is in fact working for our good and for his glory. And then we need to look around to see the fulfillment of his promises to us. Man, if we know the richness and goodness of God's mercy, we simply must admit the abject poverty of our lives. Mary speaks beyond what the Lord has done for her and what he is about to accomplish on a global scale through this baby. If you look at these verses, they're all in the past tense. Mary is speaking as if these things have already happened because when God makes a promise, it's as good as done. God was keeping his promise to Abraham, which means God was keeping his promise to Old Testament Israel, which means that God is keeping his promise to the New Testament church. God tells Abraham in Genesis 12 and in Genesis 15 that through him and through his descendants, meaning Jesus, all of the nations on earth will be blessed. God is keeping this thousands-year-old promise To redeem spiritual Israel. The church. And in keeping his covenant with Abraham. God is proving himself yet again to be faithful. These are more than like nationalistic statements. These are prophecies about what God is going to accomplish through Christ. There's a nod towards social justice here. This isn't the primary focus, but I do want to say that the church has been given a mandate to care for the poor, to care for the marginalized, to care for the orphan, to care for the widow, and dare I say it, care for the immigrant and the refugee. Yes, the church has a call to action. When we serve the least of these in the name of Jesus, we are demonstrating that we have hearts that have been radically changed By God's grace to us. And that is important. And yes, that is in view here. But the primary focus is not a social call to action, but a spiritual calling on your life. Before God intercepts our hearts, before God intercepts our lives, we are spiritually poor. We are spiritually marginalized. We are spiritually dead. And we serve a God who satisfies. We serve a God who is pleased to give us everything we need. But hear me, when we gorge ourselves on the pleasures of life. When we fill up on things, not of the Lord. When you don't leave room for Jesus. man, that's a dangerous place to be. When we get to this place, we will either actively or unconsciously say. Ah, I don't really need God. I mean, think about this for a second. If you were honest. If you're just completely honest with yourself or others in this room, just for a few seconds. If you took a look at your life this year or this month or this week. Is Christ your greatest longing? Man, if we just kind of took an overview of how you spent your time and your money Would there be any indication that you want to follow Jesus with your life? Would there be any indication that you even think you need Jesus? Would there be any indication in your life that you care about the things that he cares about? Namely, the church and where his people are gathered. Or other people who don't know Christ and need to know his love to them. Or... Would it just look like you were trying to be self-sufficient, which is completely impossible spiritually? Would it look like you were motivated by your own desires for comfort or control or power or approval? Listen, we have to approach God as hungry beggars in need of bread. We have to allow the Lord to minister to our greatest need. And that's the need for him. If we approach God in the arrogance of our hearts, like giving him the leftovers of our life, giving him the leftovers of our time and our schedule and our money or whatever else, if we approach God in such a way with that bold arrogance, and God's going to send us away empty. If we, on the other hand, hunger and thirst after God and for his righteousness to us that was so richly poured out for us on the cross, confessing that we know we are desperate sinners in need of forgiveness. We ask God to forgive us and change us and he'll satisfy us with grace and mercy. Mary is calling our attention to this God, the God who satisfies. Man, I'd invite you just to consider Have you humbly approached the Lord in faith for the salvation of your soul? Have you humbly approached the Lord in confession and repentance of your sins? Or are you just playing churchy games? Are you just giving God the leftovers? Are you just here so you can check it off your box? May we humbly submit our lives, our whole lives, to God this morning and this season. May we consider this God who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but came in humility as a baby born in a manger, living the life we couldn't live and dying the death we deserved in order that we may be right with God the Father who loves us. And who is providing a way back to him. Sparing his only son on our behalf. May we magnify the Lord who has done great things.
0: And who will do great things for us. Let's pray.